Welcome back guys to another episode of the Health Mastery Show. I'm your host as always, Adam MacDonald. And if on today's episode, we have on Steve Hall from Revive Stronger. Steve is a natural bodybuilder and also a coach over at Revive Stronger. He runs his own podcast, which many of you may have heard of already, called the Revive Stronger Podcast, funnily enough. And if you're a new listener here for the first time or you're someone that frequently listens but hasn't yet subscribed, please do hit the subscribe and make sure that these episodes come into your inbox or into your podcast platform in the future. This episode is sponsored by EndeavorNutrition.co.uk. I've been using their supplements for about a month now and they're all non-proprietary blends, heavily researched supplements which I've been using and and do endorse and if you want to try them out they're an up-and-coming scientific-based supplement company in the UK. You can get a 10% discount with the code PODCAST10 for my listeners listening to this show. And if you are listening to this, please do tag myself and Steve on social media. Let us know what you think. Uh, let us know that you're uh, listening and that does help share and spread the word of the podcast. So you can tag myself at AdamMac192 and Steve is at Revive Stronger. But without further ado, let's get into this podcast with Steve. So Steve, thanks for coming on the podcast. Great to chat to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I, um, I've been probably watching you from the outside um i saw this i saw you actually develop the podcast and sounds a bit weird you, but, but <laughs> you competed last year so yeah i've kind of been like i don't know you see people on social media kind of coming through and like i i saw you work with i think with eric helms or at least you competed against him and yeah. i think you actually beat eric so yeah I, I i kind of obviously already knew who you were so i appreciate being invited yeah. on yeah i know it's gonna be a fun chat because i kind of yeah. creeped on you without trying yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it just sounds a bit weird that you're like you're creeping on me from the outside. Um, just like a window right here. Yeah, I actually live like uh, in the city centre, so like a lot of people do walk by, and just you got these blinds where you can you think people can see in, but they can't because they're far away. But when people are always like because mine's right beside a river and it's in the city, people always stop and you think they're looking in at you and like, but they're not. They're just like rolling a joint or something. I don't know what they're doing, but it's, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I, I worked with, uh, with Jeff Alberts. Um, but yeah, I competed against Eric. Um, yeah, I mean, com- I competed, I think first time in, in 2013, um, which was qu- quite a while ago, but, um, and then I kind of took some years off just to grow and then, and then hooked up with 3DMJ last year. But yeah, my competitive season is, is over for a while, but I know that you were supposed to compete this year. Um, I had a few clients that were supposed to compete as well, and because I'm in Ireland, there's not a whole whole host of shows. There's there's actually only one show. Um, but but tell tell us what happened. Are you you're still going to compete, or, or or what what's happened? So yeah, I, when because I've been asked this a few times because I don't know because this is what I do and people are interested, and I boiled it down to, and this is how I sold myself on not competing this year because probably you're the same, Adam. Like when you've got your mind set on. I'm competing like 2000 and whatever it is, 2020 yeah. as well sounds pretty like, although this is the year everyone's going to remember for a different reason. It sounded like quite a like memorable year and everything. Mm. So yeah, I set my sights on this year, but um, I essentially boiled it down to the stage is always there. I have mm. nothing next year, meaning that I can't compete. And I know next, well, don't know, but I presume next year is going to be a bit more of a normal competitive season. So they're going to have their qualifiers going to have the usual finals and then hopefully like the worlds will go on as usual but at the moment we still don't know exactly what's mm-hmm. going to happen uh like the uk fba who are the main people i want to compete with and like the WMBF alongside that uh they have said their finals are going ahead but then i don't know what travel restrictions are and how world is going to go and also this year and the way it all panned out was like just i don't know what competitors are going to turn up and how it's all going to be and it was just that element of uncertainty. And I think probably a lot of bodybuilders are like this. We love certainty um, and I hate uncertainty just personally in life. So being so uncertain whether or not finals, well, sorry, all the shows or any show we're going to go ahead. I was just like, I don't want to die all the way down, not be able to compete next year and like have to wait another number of years before I step on stage again. So I basically got down to quite a reasonable condition. I certainly wasn't stage ready, but I was, probably 10, 15 pounds, probably 10 pounds out from stage. And at that point, I was kind of uh, maintaining. Lockdown had happened. I just kind of maintained for a period of time. And then I just had to make it. I was like, I need to make a decision. I don't want to spin my wheels, like just maintaining mm. for ages. So I was like, I'm just, 
uh, I'm in a good spot to enter a gaming phase. Uh, I bought myself a lot of time massing now, and so yeah, I've been I've massed. I dropped down from 200 to 180, and now I've gone from 180, and now I'm almost to 190. Um, since like basically after a month after lockdown hit, I just started gaining again after I got some kit um, yeah. that I could train with at home. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't actually think about that. I mean, I know that I think the the shows here or the show in Ireland was cancelled because they just couldn't get enough applications. I mean, because people, right. if you if you don't have the gym, right, they it's pretty risky risky financially to to run a venue and stuff because people aren't going to compete if they can't. Well, a lot of people aren't going to compete if they can't get to the gym. And I, I did have a conversation with somebody who is competing at the, I don't know if it's the UK DFBA Finals. I think that's the only show they have, or a novice show, that said, because I was like, do you think much competitors will show up this year? And he said, like, oh, well, the committed ones will. But at the same time, I think I'm pretty, pretty committed. But if I could only train at home, uh, I probably wouldn't compete. Um, I just don't feel like I could probably give myself the full... Uh, the, the full training, I mean, the full training experience, I mean, in terms of motivation-wise, just e- even equipment. And I, I know that, you know, there's limitations. You can certainly get a good training session at home, but I think there's just being in a gym, being in the gym environment, and then even being able to get your hands on enough equipment. I, I couldn't get enough weights. I could only get a certain amount. Um, and then, and I got them in March. Anybody who would, would have waited till say, April, I mean, they're pretty screwed. I mean, I don't know if they would have got anything. So, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see in October if you know what the standard is like, because I think some people would even have you know may have pulled out that would have been say higher level bodybuilders, and um, just because they it's uncertainty, and and they still may not even go ahead. And I don't know what the story is with with Worlds in in I think it's December this year maybe, but I don't I don't know if they're going to go ahead. I mean they probably will go ahead, but can people travel to the US? I don't know what the restrictions are. I don't plan to go to the US anytime soon. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that's interesting that um, obviously you didn't want to get down too lean because there's a point, right, where you get so lean that you've actually just screwed yourself up uh, physiologically for a couple of months for the sake of for what? for what. So I, I had a few competitors and one guy, he was going to just, he said, well, well, let's let's just get down to show levels of leanness anyway and I'll compete, compete next year. I'm just, well, you're just, you're just pissing away a couple of months of progress there because it takes so long to well, depending on the person, but it takes quite a long time to recover, um, just hormonally. So you're not, you know, that the first four months or four to six months even, you're not even making any progress. You're just regaining lost muscle. And I think, say, the further, you know, pushing, you said you're 10 pounds away or so from stage weight. I think if you had pushed that last 10 pounds for every single additional pound you would have lost, you would have had, you know, a marginally worse, um, or, you know, a marginally longer recovery period because that those those pounds are a lot more impactful than, say, the £10 before that. Would you agree, or, or what's your thoughts? A hundred percent. I always talk, and I'm uh, someone who can sustain a leaner body fat. Uh, I just have always been able to do that and feel kind of somewhat normal, but I was just on that edge of the diet, really starting to bite, uh, where like where you're like, I know this is where I'm below my kind of lower-end body fat settling range, if that is, like, a, it's just a theory, but mm. um, I think it quite often people can hear it and kind of relate to it and when they kind of go through it they can practically see that that is a thing and that's definitely where I was where I just I had some striated places I still had like plenty of fat to lose around like the glutes and the hamstrings and the quads but yeah if I'd like you said any further down essentially I kind of think when you're out of that body fat setting range you're almost like you're on fire and you just want to get out of being on fire as soon as possible it doesn't matter if you have refeeds diet breaks you're still somewhat on fire. You need to recover at some stage fully. Um, so I wanted to avoid that. And that's essentially, I just, I hadn't competed, like you said, you did, you competed 2013 and then like last, uh, two years ago, you competed 2019? No, I competed, yeah, I competed 2016 actually as well. I did the WBFF, oh, okay. if you know what that is. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I got smoked. I mean, not for you. Eh, nah. I mean, it, it's, not, not to, t- to talk about federations, but it's just, it costs so much money just to enter the show, and it was just oh, a business. Okay. And then it's just, uh, I would, I've, I mean, I'd want to be about 15 kilos heavier to be a fitness model. So, yeah, so not drug tested, is it? No, no. So, so yeah, I, yeah, then I competed in last year, 2019. So, yeah. 
be, it'll be a while, but yeah. Um, sorry, what were you saying? You were, you were on about the yes. body recovery. Yeah, essentially, I got down to 180 pounds, and I was not expecting to look as lean or as good as I did at that weight. So I was ready early. So I miscalculated. I programmed, kind of planned backwards from finals, and then kind of all the qualifiers were cancelled. Finals got pushed back later, and I was like, I'm already ready early. And if I put, like, I can't just maintain for months on end. It's just, why would I do that, like, piss time away when I can just go into a gaining phase and not have to go for a recovery period and then try mm. to compete next year? So for me, it wasn't, and, and I agree with you that I don't think saying the committed will go or be there. I don't think, I think oh, there can be commitment, but I think a lot of committed people will make a wise decision to have delayed because it just makes more sense for them. Um, or like you said, they can't get equipment. I was very similar to you in that I went ahead and like purchased stuff as soon as it was there and at any risk of not having equipment, I was just like, Charlotte, can I get a, my girlfriend? Can I get a barbell? And she was just like, if it's going to stop you like going psycho, just get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just ended up getting it all. Yeah. We're nine floors up. <laughs> so I'm nine floors up in this block. Oh, room. shit. So bringing all that up, yeah. I wasn't even sure. But luckily we I'm, have I'm on the ground. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the ground floor. So I'm pretty lucky. Yeah, I mean, when I when I got the equipment, like, uh, it was two weeks. I think the gym hadn't even, my gym hadn't even closed yet, what they were saying. Oh, and yeah. But, but uh, you know, I thought it was a bit naive to think that the gyms are going to open back up in... I think they closed here earlier than the, in the UK, but it was. They said they'd be open up in two weeks, which was completely. You know, I think it was six months later they, they literally opened up. So, and um, it, it kept me going for for quite a while. I did lose a little bit of steam I, uh, towards the end, just not leaving the house, training at home. I just, I don't know, um, didn't really enjoy it that much anymore. I noticed that you're still training at home. Do you? Are you back in the gym, or or do you still train at home? Or? So all my leg sessions are completely at the gym now because there's just the machines, essentially, the legs. That's the yeah. thing I was missing most. I managed to get, like, dumbbells, barbell, got this cable thing that can do basically a lot of the upper body stuff. But, yeah, for legs. So I train all my leg sessions in the gym, and then I do, I think, one full push a day here and then one other session here. But most of it is at the gym, so I just do some here because – it's just so convenient <laughs> actually having yeah. it all at home because um, I work from home anyway. So uh, my, I wasn't going to change my sessions. So I was just like, I might as well just do it from home now rather than having to go back into back and throw to the gym. And something I've struggled with in gaining phases is being able to consume enough because my steps end up getting quite high. So I was like, this keeps my steps down as well. So um, yeah, I do a few sessions still at home, but uh, especially in this heat, I'm particularly wanting to be in the gym at the moment with the aircon. Yeah. And I've never been one of those people that's particularly like needing a gym environment. I go to the gym, so it's not exactly got a crazy great environment for bodybuilding or anything. But there is something about being in that environment with people who are working hard and part of actually just leaving the environment of like, this is my desk where I work and then I train behind me. It's just there's something about being in a zone of this is dedicated for lifting and you just get into that mindset and it helps. And it's the same with like your bed needs to be where you sleep and don't eat in there. Don't kind of play video games and watch TV because your mind associates those things and will be wakeful when you want to sleep. And I think the same for me, sometimes I think that I can see why people struggle, especially after a long period of time. Like your home is often a place of relaxation, entertainment. It's not really like working out. Maybe if you have a garage gym, that's a separate place. I can see that. But yeah, so I am eventually going to transition fully to the gym. Um, part of me is also I've invested in all this kit and something. Like yeah, that, so I don't know. Yeah. You feel like it was I'm not thing. sure what to do with it and um, to hold on to it. I, I can't keep a, a squat rack in my living room, you know, for forever. And, <laughs> and I don't have a garage, but I, I honestly don't know what to do with it. Like because you never know in, in wave two or wave fifteen, or whatever. Exactly. Um, you know this this close again but but tell us about your your off season i suppose you're not really in season anymore but you plan to be in, in competitive season this year um you, you seem to have made some visual progress between those two seasons um tell us about when when your last season was and and then what you did in between those that period to kind of progress is because a lot of people would think you know anybody with a decent amount of muscle someone who's very skeptical would say oh they're at their genetic potential there's no point in even trying to do much more anymore um and and you kind of I suppose you didn't defy the odds. You just made some good progress right in between those periods. So tell us 
you know, when was your last competitive season? When were you last lean? And, and what did you do since that period to kind of make the progress that you, you have between, between then? Cool. So, yeah, my last time I competed was 2017. And uh, my stage weight was around, I'd say the average was 165 pounds, which at 5'10 is nothing particularly impressive, but it's like a, a middleweight. And I wasn't a big middleweight. I was kind of like mid-range. And actually, I managed to get to the UK, the FBA finals and place in the top five. I was fifth, but I was in the top five. Um, so actually, no, there was a top six. So I was fifth in the top six, which sounds slightly better. But um, I was like ecstatic with that because I last competed in 2014. And my stage weight was actually very similar between 2014 and 2017. I may have got a little bit leaner and I did improve a little bit, but not as much as I have since 2017 to 2020, which comes to your point of like people cap their genetics and it's like, oh, I'm in advance, gains are going to slow down. And I don't think they necessarily do. I think they would if all things being equal, because like adaptive resistance just builds up and you become less kind of, you become more resistant to anabolism as you age and advance. But my training, my nutrition, my kind of recovery, that all improved. I just took way better care of everything. And I understood things more as well. I think you'd probably be the same, Adam, where the more you've done this, kind of the stuff you knew, you now know it still, but you just are better at achieving it, um, and getting it out of your nutrition, your training, and kind of everything just becomes more habitual. Uh, I would say something that I definitely made sure to do this off-season was not hold back my body weight kind of arbitrarily. Uh, I kind of capped myself in my previous off-season to like, I think it was to 180, 185 pounds. And every time I hit that, I just like mini cut down. Whereas this time around, I did do mini cuts, but they kind of took me down to a higher baseline each time. So overall, linearly, I was gaining and I, I pushed all the way up to 200, just over 200 pounds, which is, that's the heaviest I'd ever weighed in my life. And it was pretty torturous to get uh, above 190, which was the biggest I'd been before. But it definitely looks to have paid off. And I think there are people who hold themselves back. So they're like, oh, my, like I'm more advanced, so I should slow my rate of gain. I shouldn't get so sloppy. I shouldn't gain so high. And I'm not saying you need to like gain like a madman or get sloppy. But I think kind of arbitrarily holding yourself back like I was previously, I think can sometimes limit you. And it's uncomfortable when you push to those new heights and you know, those new body weights. But I think with that comes just all that performance improvement coming through in the gym, which is ultimately what's driving muscle growth is what you do in the gym. Is your performance rising? Um, are you getting better in there? And I think being bigger and driving nutrition, being in a surplus and a meaningful one that's kind of trackable body weight wise, I think that led to me being able to do more volume, have higher quality sessions, uh, or recover from more. And I think reap the rewards of that and just ultimately massive consistency with all of that. Um, not kind of skipping out on anything, uh, not getting comfortable, which I did definitely in previous off seasons, just get comfortable, like eating plenty, kind of like maintaining, maintaining gym's fun. It's fine. And not really pushing it and make myself feel particularly uncomfortable. And I think that kind of stress maybe is required as you get more advanced to really take that body to new heights. So yeah, those are some of the things at least I definitely applied this off season. And then, just the, the principles, understanding those better, uh, dialing in my technique more, getting that mind-muscle connection better with movements. Uh, I think as you get more advanced, you risk the risks of extra fatigue are so much more costly. So if your technique isn't dialed in, you can be wasting away fatigue that's ultimately going to drive down the amount you can recover from and going to drive down the stimulus you can produce. So for me, dialing in that technique, getting better acquainted with my true kind of reps and reserve, my relative intensity and taking myself through my mesocycles like that. I could actually just be like, okay, I finished this session and I know I've got a fantastic stimulus for said muscle group, but I know next week I can do a bit more and then get to a point where I can't do any more deload properly deload, um, really, really make it light and easy recover and then go again. Um, and then like small things, taking care of my sleep. But I mean, that's probably not a small thing, but, I've been like mm. obsessing about sleep for quite a while and I love it. And I get super frustrated when my sleep's not like perfect and it very rarely is perfect, but I can't even imagine when I was ignorant to it before how bad I must've just been all the time with my sleep. Cause I just didn't really think it was a big deal. So like, yeah, I get to bed at like an okay time, wake up whenever I wake up. Whereas now it's like, I know 
the things that I can do to improve that, like sleep hygiene. And then it's just become habitual, like I said before. Like you just start nailing down all these habits and what I do on a daily basis. I don't look at it and I think, oh, that's like crazy, obsessive, extreme. I'm just like, oh, I do all these things without really thinking about it. And I think that has helped the consistency and overall helped my off season. So, yeah, I kind of just went on a ramble. But those are the things that come to the top of my head when I think about what allowed me to improve uh, over the last kind of few years. Mm. So with regards to nutrition, were you trying to gain uh, or body weight and nutrition tied together? Were you trying to gain a specific amount of weight over a period of time? And then when you got to a certain level, you you decided to mini cut, or did you just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit fat now. I need to cut back or, or was your hunger, you know, your, your hunger signal dampened down and you decided to mini cut? Was there any kind of method behind that? Yeah, so I tend to like to gain, at, and I think in that off-season, I mostly gained at about 0.5% per week. So over a course of a month, I gained 2% of additional body weight, uh, which is on the higher side, I think, of most people's recommendations. But I just wanted to know that every bit of effort I was putting into the gym, I was reaping almost every bit of muscle I possibly could from it. Because ultimately, like you say, a mini cut you can wipe off a lot of fat in a short period of time if you're aggressive with it and you have a lifestyle that allows you to do that. And I struggle sometimes sharing some of my results and things with people because I think people look at it and they're like, oh, Steve's an average guy. He gets these are quite pretty good results. That inspires me to get those. And I'm like, I, I might be average from a genetic standpoint, but my lifestyle is not average in that I'm self-employed. I work from home. I can eat when I want, I can train when I want, I haven't got like kids, I haven't got many commitments, I can put a lot into this thing mm. that a lot of other people might not be able to. So um, I don't know where I was going with that. Okay, so in terms of like gaining, so at 0 0.5, 0 0.25 to 0.5% um, every week is kind of the rate of gain I was looking to achieve. And then in terms of kind of implementing mini cuts, it'll typically be I would follow... Uh, three to four mesocycles worth of higher volume training. And I tend to find once I get to that point, I'm almost using somewhat the kitchen sink of hypertrophy tools in that. I'm using a large kind of number of repetition ranges from like five up to 30. I'm using kind of metabolite intensification techniques. And I'm just at a point where things are starting to feel a little bit stale. It's becoming increasingly obvious that I have to do more to get just the same amount. And so I feel like I need a bit of a lower volume period. And at that decision, I can make, am I a body fat where I could cut down a few pounds and look better for it, feel better for it? Or should I just do a lower volume period of time where we call it kind of like a primer phase where we just train low volume to essentially kind of reduce the fatigue that's built up over the months and months of higher volume training and then go again and physiological and psychological fatigue and kind of be primed almost afterwards kind of the, why we call it the primer phase to feel in a good state to be able to gain from a higher volume training again and so yeah I would basically make the decision am I of a fatness that requires a mini cut and after kind of show I think I can probably run like a good period of time without needing a mini cut so probably two blocks of like three to four mesocycles worth of hypertrophy primer three to four and then mini cut after that one where I am considerably fatter than I was when I competed um, and then probably run two to three maybe after that in terms of like higher volume and kind of gaining a meaningful pace and then mini cut again each mini cut is going to buy me less time because I'm essentially getting fatter and fatter each time I mini cut if I'm doing it right because I do see people and I have done mini cuts where it's like it's taking me back to baseline every time and I'm not actually getting heavier whereas actually I want to get heavier and heavier and I want to need to take a longer cut eventually at some point um, but yeah, that is kind of the consequence of gaining at a faster rate. You probably need to cut down more frequently. So mm -hmm. there's trade-offs and I can't say if that's better, uh, but it seemed to help propel me forward. That's how I like the mini cuts. I don't like to think that they're limiting my momentum in my mass gaining phases. I like to think that actually they're potentiating the next phase and that, like you said, they're increasing my appetite, potentially increase my insulin sensitivity with being at a lower body fat percentage and having been in a deficit for a period of time. And certainly from a psychological standpoint, it's like now I'm gunning for like, okay, let's let's build back up. I've seen kind of what I've gained over that chunk of like hypertrophy and massing because I've cut back that layer of kind of what's hiding underneath. And that's kind of incentivized me again to commit to more massing going forward. Mm. 
Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting point. You you said you do go relatively fast, and I know people they kind of I guess most people in the evidence based field or that have somewhat uh, informed decisions have moved away from dreamer bulks or just like getting fat as shit and then just hoping that they get a lot of muscle. But some people have gone to the other extreme where they, they don't want to get too, they, they don't want to put on too much weight. And, and I've experienced it with people, especially younger guys with the kind of gym sharp generation and stuff um, of always needing to look lean or be lean. Um, yet you don't have these like amazing genetics. So you, if you want to look any way like these people, you're going to have to, to walk. But I think, I think, I don't know what, what your thoughts are, but somebody who's like, let's say doesn't have a, a lifestyle that's overly conducive to building muscle, it may be a better idea to, to perhaps go a little bit slower because, you know, gaining two kilos a month, you know, that's probably a bit more than 2%, but gaining like one and a half kilos per month, you know, you, you may actually gain significantly more, more body fat if you, you know, if you, if you miss training sessions or you've got a stressful life where you're not getting your full hours of sleep because you've, you wake up early or you got to work on projects at night or whatever. And I, and I noticed the, the, the clients who can live a lifestyle that's like perfect for bodybuilding are like college students, <laughs> like who yeah. just, who, who don't drink. These are like college students don't drink. They just love bodybuilding. Whereas like others that want to you know, progress and they have like kids or, 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 you know, corporate jobs that are high up, they, it, it's harder for them to just be consistent with getting, getting things in. Um, I, I don't know what your kind of thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really tough one because I think very similarly that if you can't be, if you're not providing the muscle growth stimulus to kind of appreciate from a bigger surplus, you could potentially just end up gaining more fat and you could gain at a slower pace and hopefully gain more muscle. The thing I maybe struggle with it is that, and I guess it's trying to identify where this point is, because they already have so many things counting against them for muscle growth maybe being in a bigger surplus just means, yeah, they gain more fat, but they actually gain some muscle. Whereas if you cap them too low and they almost do like maintaining, but they're barely getting in the training sessions, not really providing a great stimulus there. It's like now you haven't even got kind of the extra help from the surplus. Mm -hmm. It's like, will they just not really get anything? So yeah, it's, it's a tricky one for sure. I, I, I would tend to go to the 0.25% for sure. Like 1% per month, I think is pretty reasonable where you can still see it's going up, but, it's not so fast that potentially, yeah, these people are just getting over fat. Yeah. You, you'd probably be able to identify that as well. Over a month, like you could see if someone's got, you're just like, yeah, that, that was probably all fat now. <laughs> Although it's hard to tell when you're in a gaining phase. Yeah. Like you said, these people are just yeah. getting fat. And then when, when you're really fat, fat it's, you don't know. If you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're quite fat and you can't see any definition, then it's actually really hard to, to know at all, yeah. uh, which, is, which is really a bit of a struggle. So I guess that's why like gym performance and just, motivation mood uh energy levels and stuff like that are are important um but but yeah i mean i wish i had your problem my uh, for me getting uncomfortable body weight i'd be like 260 like ronnie Coleman or something like that wow uh, no i, I never crazy. got that no never got that. i never got that weight but i'm just saying like uh like right now i'm, I'm not lean uh i don't know 45 percent jam but um i feel like i'm in my set points right so like i think when you you're talking about your recovery from or how many kind of building phases or massing phases you do post show for me in February, no, I think it was March, which was, uh, I don't know, it's about four or five months after WMBF worlds. I gained quite a bit of weight because I started back doing masters. I like, I was just had a pretty hectic lifestyle. Um, and I didn't worry about gaining additional weight. I didn't try to blow up, but, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna eat when I'm, when I, you know, feel, I just wanna feel good again, basically. I've been dieting for like a year. So, um, but even then, like with additional 30 pounds or something like that, I still wasn't feeling 100% normal. And I had way more body fat uh, in my face you could, than, than now. So you could tell like that my body fat distribution was just still messed up. So it wasn't like hormonally normal. But even now I'm like 211 pounds. So, it's like for me, and I'm like not eating a lot of food. I can, and I do like at least ten thousand steps a day, so I could easily get to like Lee Priest style off season, where I'm just eating buckets of chicken, and I'm like, give me more, baby. Yeah, it's it's not difficult for me. My, my uh, I suppose where I would struggle for for me personally is actually 
trying not to get too too much and, and like actually be meticulous with my like quite meticulous with my tracking because I like to sometimes not track but that can I can get pretty uh, yeah. derailed with that if I don't track and just kind of I won't say intuitive eating because um you know but just more instinctive eating I guess with based yeah. off my hunger and so like I, I just I'm just born to be a fat fat guy so that's that's where I, but that's what I really struggle but but then so so in terms of your training over the last uh, couple of years how, how has that differed um I noticed that you do two a day trainings honestly I would like yeah. hate myself I train twice a day um but how do you um I mean that's just, I don't know my whole life like I've always played sports played basketball like internationally as well and like I've been training since I was like 16 like weightlifting but anytime I spend like it's over a certain period of time in the gym it like there's like this point where it's like a tipping point where I just hate being there which is really strange because I love going to the gym but after a certain point I just hate it and I and that and that's it I'm done so like training twice a day and stuff that would just really annoy me um oh, but I guess if I guess if I don't know I would like to hear your opinion on, on what like why you're doing that and um, is it for additional volume have you been doing that for the last three years or is that something that you've started recently I think the first time I heard about two-day training when I read the uh, Arnold's Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding the big oh really yeah <laughs> or like yeah I think pretty 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 interesting book it's my first uh, bodybuilding book apparently but um probably most of it wasn't uh backed by science but um I guess he's the go to bodybuilding, so it must make sense. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think if I'm very honest, when I started it was in 2017 actually, and I've pretty much kept it going since then. Obviously, there's been when I do my low volume phases or mini cutting um, that I bring uh, down to one time per day, I don't go twice because uh, I just don't need to because the volume is much lower during those periods of time, tends to be at least. Uh, but the reason I started it was. I am one of those people where I have this mentality where more is better. I always want to do more. And I know that of myself. Like I'll always push like the lower calorie deficit. I'll always push like whatever it is. If I, in my head, it's harder. I want to be doing the harder thing because that's just the way I'm driven. So when I saw Jared Feather doing twice a day training, I was like, why aren't I doing twice a day training? Like if Jared's doing it, surely mm -hmm. I should be doing it. So that's where it came from, like, if I'm very honest, which is a really immature thing to do. Uh, I don't think that's the right way to go about your picking your training. It's like looking at someone else who's bigger yeah. than you and being like, i got to be doing, they're doing a bit more than me. That means more is better, right? Uh, it definitely doesn't mean that. So I did start it. Thankfully, though, I started it with the guidance of Jared. So I was consulting with him during my 2017 prep for my training. Uh, some of my nutrition as well. I also consulted with Roderick a bit for like peak weeks as well because uh, he is just a brain box and I don't know how that relationship really formed but it was really cool to be able to work with them and have these consultations and it's nice in a prep, like preps are tough so to be able to have someone to chat to now and then was nice. So yeah, he helped me design these twice, day, twice daily training sessions and it ultimately came also because it was in a prep where it just allowed me to keep my activity higher so I could walk to the gym, come back, walk to the gym again. And that was like a like 10 minute commute. So it was just nice small walks. And now I continued it because it has suited my lifestyle nicely and it helps split my day up from work very nicely as well, which I like. Whereas otherwise I've just been sat at my computer for a long, long period of time, which I think I'd hate, <laughs> like you hate being in the gym mm. too long. Similarly, like just, and I'm the same with being in the gym too long. So some of my leg sessions, I wasn't doing those twice per day when I first got into it. I was just doing my upper body sessions split. So basically doing big compounds in the morning and then coming back and doing isolations. But legs, I only split those up in maybe 2018 or, yeah, something like 2018. So after I competed, because trying to get like a really hard session for both quads and hamstrings, which I was recovered enough to do, but my in-session like recovery was not enough. I couldn't do like heavy hat squats, heavy leg, like good leg extensions and some abs and then go and do like straight leg deadlifts and leg curls. I could do leg curls, but I certainly couldn't do another compound. Whereas when I was splitting it up, I was like, oh, I can do like a heavier session for that kind of muscle group in the morning and then a lighter one for kind of the hamstrings or the quads in the evening, but heavier and kind of more quality than if I had tagged it on to the end of the kind of main focus for the session. So yeah, I moved to it and I think actually now in the last like couple of years it's definitely something that I kind of 
quote unquote need. Um, I wouldn't say I need it to grow, but if I want to grow my best and do the highest quality volume, I think that is probably something I need to do um, just due to the fact of being at a level of advancement where, yeah, it's probably you've been there, Adam, where you're doing a higher level of volume within like an upper body session and the muscle groups you tag towards the end, sometimes they just don't get as much love and they don't feel as good as maybe if you could come in later and had a meal and kind of relax a little bit and then went to hit them. So the main reason for twice daily training is really just to ensure the volume you're doing is as high quality as possible. So it's kind of reducing the chances for junk volume. I also didn't want to specialize. Uh, I don't know about Hugh Adam, but I hate the idea of putting muscles on the front burner and others on the back burner. I yeah. want to grow everything <laughs> maximally. So uh, it kind of helped me be able to do that. Otherwise I would have to start kind of putting stuff and prioritizing some muscle groups and putting other things on the back burner. Whereas being able to spread them out allowed me to keep that quality a little bit higher, recover a bit more and get decently amount of volume done. So yeah, I've been doing it a long time. Um, I don't always do every session twice. Um, like every session isn't always an AM and PM. Um, at the moment it is because I can also train from home, which makes it easy to like, if I want to do a gym session and then like on, on the weekends, I can do like in the evening when I've got some free time. They don't take that long sometimes, like half an hour. So to do some like biceps and delts, it's pretty easy to tag that on in the evening. There is a level, uh, sorry, a level of like, sometimes you don't want to, <laughs> especially for like, you've done your heavy quads. It's like you're overreaching me, you've done your heavy quads. And then you, I would need to go back to the gym, walk there to do my hamstrings. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I put yeah. it off. And I think for some people who they are maybe just that sort of person that wouldn't be able to go and push themselves to go do that. I'm pretty robotic. I will do it if it's on my paper, which has led me to problems in itself, but sometimes helps me get stuff like this done. So I think it's just suits my lifestyle. I think uh, to get what I want out of my training, I need to do it. Uh, and I think it has definitely helped, uh, particularly for my delts and my arms. I would say if there's two body parts I've seen improve since 2017 to now, like my delts and arms are much better than they were. And I think, having split them up has just helped me be able to do that, get higher quality volume through them. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I've been focusing on uh, delts and arms myself since pretty much since I stopped competing last year. I mean, when, when it came to lockdown, it was just more kind of give everything the same maintenance. Uh, but then, but, but up to that point, I've been focusing on them and still up to, to now. But what I did notice that, was my chest, which was traditionally just a genetically strong body part. I put that on the back burner, like you said, and just looking in the mirror as I, when I flex it recently, I'm just like pretty sure I've lost a bit of size in my chest because the volume just isn't there, but I can't, I can't do any more volume unless I'm going to be in the gym for ages or, or else I'm just going to be doing way too much volume for my shoulders because I'm pressing, you know, because of the pressing. Um, so, so yeah, I, I understand what you're saying there in terms of just not, because now I want to do a, a block of, uh, you know, focusing on hamstrings and, and glutes. But when you think about someone who's like wants to compete again, when you think about like how many blocks can I do that will focus on that, that may, that may put everything else at maintenance. Like I can only do so many blocks before I've got to prep again. And I'm not really going to be making any more. I'm not going to make any progress in prep. So I don't like you can only give so many specialization cycles before like, uh, you know, prep has come back around again. So like for me, probably not going to prep next year, but the year after. And, and that's not that many blocks away in terms of mesocycles. You know, you're thinking, you know, if you're doing a three month block or whatever, um, or a six week or eight week block, it's, it's not that much time. So, you know, I do, I do feel you on that part where, you know, you don't want to specialize. But at the same time, uh, I'm a person who, if I had to do something, if I had to go back to the gym and I didn't want to do it because I had something else to do, that thing would just be on my mind the whole time in the gym. Like, I got to do this. And then I wouldn't sleep well, like, because I'm doing my, my master's in nutrition. And also, I don't know if you heard of precision nutrition level two. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... Probably, probably a bit much to have taken that on because I'm just pretty much stressed about it all the time. But to do both of them, but yeah, if I was to go to the gym and then push one of those out, I'd just be in the gym the whole time thinking about, oh fuck, I gotta, gotta go home and like, I gotta submit a case study or whatever, and uh, my my session would be crap anyway, and I wouldn't be enjoying it. I mean, at the end, of, at the end of the day, you do it to enjoy, it, right? You don't just body build it because you're getting paid like to compete at the Olympia stage or whatever. Um, 
So, so yeah, what, what specifically did you do for like your delts and your arms to, to bring them up? Was, was it actually just splitting up their own sessions or you, you mentioned a bit about form? I noticed that helped me a lot. I peeled the weight back a bit. And it's actually Alberto Nunez gave me this advice. Um, at, at WMBF Worlds when I competed, my physique just started to fade a bit. So I competed in July, September, November. And by November, my physique was just... Yeah, my, my, my delts had just lost size, I mean, on my arms. I don't really know why, because I didn't get that much leaner. I got a little bit leaner, but um, I think just hormonally, I was just in this, you know, this place where just your hormones are just not in a good position, so I just probably started to, to lose a bit of muscle um, holding body fat, and my delts and arms just went first, and used like, yeah, you just, you know, focus on, don't necessarily add net, way more volume, but just make sure your, your form is on point. Um, and that's what I really did focus on my form. I know Alberto has had like his arms were like an area that he wanted to bring up as well, like over his career, just genetically. Um, and that's what I just focus on form, like peel back the weight, really focus on form, hitting the, the biceps from multiple angles, like, you know, stretch behind the body, you know, focusing on spider curls and just different positions. And, and it seemed to, seemed to have worked. Um, I don't know yet, but. <laughs> That's, that's what I seem to, to have done. And placed them in, in at the start of workouts. I previously hadn't been doing that. So, like, when you first start in the gym, right, or most people think, oh, you got to bench first, and then you got to, or you got to row first, and then you got to bench, and then you stick arms on the end. You do, you, know, you do chest, then you do back, then you do shoulders, then your arms, or else, like, back first. But I, I'd never really trained arms first, or, like, done, like, side, side delt raises, like, early on in the workout, where I actually switched to the workout that way, and, and I think about it, it's like, well, why would I do bench last? Well, I have a strong chest. I don't need to be doing bench press. Like, I just look like I have, like, breasts on stage or something. So, what, what, what worked for you? So, yeah, it's funny you say putting your kind of the delts in the arms first helped. And, I mean, there's even research showing that probably that is beneficial. And I think anyone, just you think about it, you're the freshest. You can give it your best go. And so, actually, that highlights one of the benefits of splitting the sessions up because, essentially, I get that benefit of, Kind of hitting my arms if I put them first in the PM session, which sometimes I do, like today I did, and then like sometimes put my delts first within that PM session, or at least when I do do them, it's after like you know I do biceps and then some side lateral raises. I haven't done like chest press, incline press, and then yeah. come to them after all of that. So that's definitely something that helped. I think the twice daily sessions, no doubt, did help there. Um, I don't like to emphasize them like that they're a game changer and they're like you have to have done it because. Most people can't commit to that, and you don't—you uh, evidently don't need to. Like you just mentioned, like you're able to change your exercise order and get many of the same benefits as what I do by splitting it up. And one thing I've done is when I'm looking to assess like minimum effective volume in my first week of training, which is I do take myself through kind of the volume landmarks that Mike Isretel has produced. I'm very careful to just do enough and not do excess. I think when I used to train like delts and arms, I just used to think they're a weak point or their small muscle group, I'll just pile on volume. And I would just not really think about it, just like four sets sounds all right. Whereas now it's like in my first week of training, I can train my biceps for two sets and they're on fire, like they're done. Like they've got certainly a minimum effective volume amount. Uh, there's a good pump, they feel disrupted. And then I can just assess as the mesocycles go on and, uh, sorry, microcycles. So similar to you and like using different angles, different repetition ranges, I think that definitely helps. Um, to allow things like you can just hit it, hit the muscle from different areas and it can recover through the week mm. and you can attack it again. So I think that really helps. Uh, and I guess with my delts, it was similar. Um, I think probably uh, because of the fact that they have, maybe I could do two sets, like lateral raises for me. I can do two sets of those. So that, that's why my delts on fire, like I'm done for my sides, side delts for week one. So that allows them, they're quite small and because I don't need a lot in a single session, they recover very quickly. So my training frequency for those, are typically, I think biceps is three to four times per week. I kind of don't prioritize biceps because they are a pretty decent point for me. So I don't tend to over overly emphasize those. But for delts, they've never been a strong point for me. And I need, like, the bigger the delts, the better. Like, I just, like, huge delts will look amazing on anyone, I think. And certainly for me, I don't have, like, wide shoulders or anything. And I have quite a wide waist. So I do hit delts, like, always four times per week, pretty much. I'm prioritizing, like, lateral raises and upright rows i know a lot of people don't use upright rows but i do find those to be a pretty great way of like i couldn't probably do back-to-back -back lateral raises day like one day lateral raises then the next day lateral raises probably a little bit too similar 
um, to be able to have like adapted and kind of recovered from that. But if I do lateral raises one day and then upright rows, it's different enough. It's using the traps a little bit more with the upright row that I can kind of get away with that to kind of create a stimulus, but not kind of stress the same areas. So yeah, I tend to train my kind of side delts four times per week, twice per week lateral raises and twice per week upright rows and just move through different variants. I tend to keep the same upright row variant and the same cape like uh, lateral raise variant, but use a different rep range. So I might have one day where it's like 10 to 15 and then the next day is like 15 to 20 rep range for like, whatever movement it is. Mm. Yeah, I think it's important to, to not switch your exercise too much because you're spending most of that time initially in that, you know, that, that skill acquisition. Yeah, so that's what that's about. the client asked me the other day, like, why can't we switch up the, the training or the, the, set, the exercise a bit more? And like, it's only been like four weeks or something. So like, you always see when, when you get this new nice piece of gym quit, uh, kit in the, in your gym, people are like, oh, kind of everyone's queuing up to do it. And you get stronger for like six weeks in a row and then it just plateaus. And I was like, ah, oh, screw that. I'll go back to my old way. But that's actually the point where you're getting the maximum benefit. But uh, another, uh, good point was the, the, the different rep ranges. I think it was like, I think Lane Norton originally had like mentioned like the fat style of training, um, yes. uh, the, the power, power uh, so power, I don't know the A is something, but, uh, but I think he had a, I don't think power is necessarily that beneficial unless you're like actual strength training. Cause, uh, you know, you recruit all motor units, but it's like, it, it's not at a sufficient relative or absolute intensity to really cause much hypertrophy. But if you're a strength training, like you're just getting more lifts in, so it's better. But, um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of kind of deep dives into like fiber type uh, or fiber specific or fiber type specific hypertrophy. And it seems like if you look at the papers, like, oh, yeah, there's, there's no difference in like, yeah, we get the same from higher reps or low reps. But if you look at the individual variances on people within the sample size, like some people grew loads from high reps, some people grew loads from low reps. So it's like, unless you really know what you grow from, you're, you're better off getting the both. And then you, and then probably different muscle groups that you have grow from other muscle groups. So, so like, you'll just never really know. Like, you can't assess, like, okay, well, you probably could break it down. Well, I'm just going to do six months of high rep only and then compare that to six months of low reps and then everything else is going to be exactly the same with sleep and nutrition. Like, it's probably just better off to do higher reps and low reps unless something just feels shit, like, you know, five reps on a side lateral. Or for me, if I do upright rows with heavy weight, I, I just, my shoulder, like, clicks all the time. It's not sore, but it's just like it's uncomfortable. So like higher reps just seem to work. But um, yeah, it's definitely something I'm like gonna add back into my training, which I hadn't been doing for quite a while because it's just like oh, I'll just train in a, anywhere between a certain rep range, and then that'll be like good enough. But I think if I want to squeeze a bit more out, it's probably better off doing similar movements in like lower rep ranges, but also higher rep ranges once it's kind of safe and mechanically feasible to do so. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that kind of undulation is yeah. essentially DUP where you're doing like you're changing the rep range. It just allows you to kind of tax a different set of fibers in a sense. And I think, like you said, the literature has kind of shown that I think kind of the bros always maybe kind of knew it with the kind of the burn sets, the kind of higher reps. And I think even, I, I think Brad has done, I think he did some research where it's like powerlifters and bodybuilders. And he theorized ages ago that the bodybuilders were bigger because they did the, they kind of maximized the hypertrophy, their slow twitch muscle fibers and the fast switch, whereas powerlifters, I mean, they don't need to have the slow twitch. Slow twitch to them is completely pointless um, because they're doing more rep maxes. So, yeah, I, I definitely like to use a variety of rep ranges and not kind of cap myself. And I will go up to, um, in some kind of mesocycles, I'll go up to 30 repetitions, kind of a 20 to 30 rep range and use some kind of metabolite work. And definitely for delts, for me, like 15 to 30 rep range, like uh, my delts just blow up from very minimal amounts of volume in it. Like the pump is not necessarily like the be all and end all. Like mechanical tension is definitely the, the key to things, but there's only so much like mechanical tension you can put through a side delt. I think sometimes those high reps can work particularly well. And like, mm -hmm. like you said, some people you can do it and you're like, eh, it doesn't feel like it's really giving me anything. And then you can be like, okay, that, that rep range isn't for that muscle group. But for me, I found, and I think probably a lot of people, I can work through the high, whole range. I don't really know <laughs> which one's better for me necessarily. I just kind of, secure yeah. me myself by doing them all at some stage mm -hmm. and and th did anything change with regards to like your supplementation over the last couple of years or, or do you kind of stick with the, the basic supplements um you know is, is there anything different that you use 
um, that you that you've, so you've changed? I am one of those people who I have my cause, like the things that I always take. So like vitamin D three, uh, creatine, I'm on a hydrate and omega threes. If I don't eat fatty fish, I think they're pretty much the, oh, okay. Actually, no, I added two to my core list. So those were the three that I always would traditionally take. I did add mag magnesium, which I take pre-bed. And also a lot of athletes can be kind of down and low on metabolism. Uh, sorry, we can do with a bit more magnesium. I haven't had a blood test to confirm that I'm kind of taking it as like a, it's a safe mm -hmm. bet. And then zinc as well is one that I do take as well. They tend to be something that we could be low on as athletes. Uh, so they're like my core. And then now and then I sprinkle in other stuff that I'm just like playing around with. So like melatonin, I will take now and then. Um, and I, I'm also now take it just when it's like, I don't know, uh, quarter past 10 at night. And I'm like, I should be tired. <laughs> so I'm not tired. Let's take melatonin to make yeah. sure I get to bed at a reasonable time. And then ashwagandha, that's something I've been playing with a little bit more consistently taking that. I am quite an anxious person. Uh, I am quite stressful uh, from small things. And so like, social media even stresses me out, which is silly because that's like that's somewhere I spend a lot of my time. But little things can kind of stress me out. I'm, I don't do well with like disagreements and kind of arguments yeah. and stuff like that. So anyway, ashwagandha is something that I've been playing with a little bit more to help deal with that sort of thing, especially as the brand grows bigger and stuff. It's just it's something I've noticed that's getting away with me and it's not been beneficial. Um, and then, yeah, I'll throw in like a random pre-workout here and there. I was working with DeNovo for a period of time. So I do have, I still take like uh, their nootropic now and then, which I really like. Um, that definitely helps like with work and check-ins and stuff. Sometimes I take it for leg sessions because mm. it's more of a focus. And then like I tried their pre-workout and then like, you know, throw in different protein powders and stuff. But like whey is pretty much the standard. Maybe I'll use casein if I'm not eating Greek yogurt or something before bed. But yeah, they're, they're pretty much the standard. Um, I have thrown in, I've actually got it down here. Uh, I bought it again. I go through periods of time where I'm like, oh, I should buy that again. Uh, chromium piclinate, which is like a, meant to be like somewhat of a GDA. So I'm very, very, I say that in a way, like I'm very skeptical and I'm not sure how much it's going to help, but um, there's like small bits that it might do something and I probably should be consistent with it if I'm going to take it. If I just do that sort of like, now and then I'll try some different, and like different sleep things. So like lavender and like 5-HTP and um, different things that like might help with sleep. I've tried some different products that kind of are meant to be able to help with that. I personally haven't seen anything like amazing with that, but sometimes if I'm like, I've had a few poor nights sleep, I'll like throw it in just to see if it'll help. But yeah, so I have that core mm -hmm. and then I just chuck in some stuff down and it like, looks like it might do something fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a very similar supplement stack. I think 5-HTP is also fairly useful if you are feeling kind of down mood wise. Um, I found that has acute effects because I, I think, like personally, I do have anxiety or so. Like, I mean, most most people are going to suffer from anxiety at some point. It's not crippling, but like sometimes I just have, you know, I just get like a low level anxiety. And I have been taking ashwagandha as an adaptogen, but um, I use alpinine as a more acute, uh, you know, kind of anxiolytic um, because I think you you gotta you need to. Uh, you need to take ashwagandha for quite a while, um, but 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 don't necessarily take them for like muscle building purposes or or even body composition. But it's just general supplements in terms of life supplements. Um, and like you said, pre workout. I, I think. Do, do you make your own pre workout or do you like these a pre formulated one? I've got still. I had a client who worked uh, for a company that like supplied loads of stuff and she sent me a shitload of pre-workouts. Yeah. So I sometimes like open one of those up and try it and I'm like, oh, oh shit. Uh, and then Jack, I Jack 3D one. from like 10 years ago. You're like, <laughs> oh shit. I tried one the other day and I think it had like, um, what did it have in it? Black pepper or something. All I could taste was black pepper. I was like, I can't, I can do one scoop and I'm never yeah. having this again. It was awful. <laughs> so I sometimes throw in Ignite now and then from DeNovo because I still have some of that. I, I, because I'm so anal about my sleep, I'm very careful with my caffeine. Yeah. Uh, so I tend to just, uh, most of the time, I have one coffee in the morning every day. And it's only like the kind of the week before my deload, I throw in maybe a pre-workout here or there. So yeah, I don't, I don't mm. make, I used to make my own, but now I've got just so many just <laughs> hanging around. Yeah. Actually, there's, there's a lot of good ones on the market now yeah. because they can't get away with the, the shit they used to get away with, but they're like hiding it behind whatever yeah. it's called. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah, proprietary blends, whatever. And then also, yeah, you gotta when you make your own, it, it usually tastes like acid or something like that because you've got like <laughs> acetyl carnitine in it, and it's just like oh, it's like drinking apple cider vinegar or something like that, and and it just you've got to mix all these different powders at different kind of different packages and stuff. But yeah, I, I, the same as yourself. I think I really try to cut back down on my on my caffeine intake. Um, like maybe one coffee a day and have that in the morning. Um, I think taking pre-workouts used to be a part of the enjoyment of going to the gym for me when I was younger. Um, but but obviously, you know, as I've gotten more aware of the importance of sleep and just and just not trying to get jacked up before the gym, yeah, I've actually reduced it a lot. But but so so what are the plans then for next year in terms of you competing? I know we're almost wrapping up on time here. Um, are you going to be hopefully? Hopefully COVID goes away. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to say that on podcasts, if, if that gets like a fan. But uh, hopefully 5G goes away, so this thing goes away, and uh, and then we're back to normality. Um, the, everybody's going to burn all the towers down, and then it'll be gone. Um, but the I guess the qualifiers are, will, be, will you be planning to get ready for a qualifier in spring, or it's going to be an autumn qualifier? What's your plans now? Are you going to bulk back up to 200 and cut back down? So uh, I have actually completely planned back from finals <laughs> already. So I know where I want to be. And the really, really, I, I know the really cool thing for me is whilst COVID was a bit of a shit situation in terms of like the world and everything. And also we had our seminar cancelled with Mike Isretel, Jared Feather and Alberta Nunez, which is really annoying. Um, but hopefully that can go ahead next year. But the cool thing it gave me was like I essentially saw what I look like and I know now what my stage weight is kind of going to be. Whereas because I hadn't competed in so long, I, I, I was aiming for the same stage weight, but I clearly gained quite a lot of muscle since then. And I'm always of the side of like leaner is better. So I was always trying to push myself and I was ready months probably early. Uh, so it's good that I can set myself up. But yeah, my plan is to move probably up to the low 190s. I'm going to mini cut then back down to the low 180s and then I'll mass back up to about 190 and then I'm going to start prep at 190 pounds. So I only have about 20 pounds to lose, which I think is a, a really decent amount that I have to come down from. Whereas previously, like I chopped down like 20 pounds from 200 to 180 and then was trying to maintain and then was going to take 10 pounds off, which I, I don't think is as nice a transition. I like not having to do a, a prolonged cut and then another prolonged cut, um, kind of kind of double firing in that sense. So I'll be aiming for a qualifier that's maybe like a month out from finals because I'm hoping to assume that I'm going to qualify. Um, so I'm kind of planning to then hopefully maybe be in a position where I can reverse diet into finals. So kind of be ready, stage work ready for the qualifier or pretty much there. And then, yeah, reverse calories up into the finals would be the plan, which I can't actually remember the date, but it's like at the end of the year. I think it's like October time or something. And do you, do you plan to get a little bit leaner as well, like compared to your last? Do you think you can get leaner or is it just about adding size at this stage? It's interesting because the UK FBA, well, after listening to Lee Kemp on AJ's podcast and they discussed like the obsession about like striated glutes, I get side striations piss easy. Like, that's not a trouble for me at all. They come in really early. Um, for me to get them from the rear, I've never quite achieved that. Um, I think I probably can. Like, I have no reason to believe I can't. Um, but leanness was always my calling card. And I think that's why I was quite successful is because I was leaner than others. But having heard Lee Kent talk about what kind of people should be aiming for, it sounds like they're maybe changing what they're scoring as highly or maybe they're trying to improve how they score because I think like shredded glutes were like you need those to even be considered and I think it's an easy way to be objective like they've got their glutes shredded from the side and rear like they're in my eye whereas I think now they're looking to be a bit more kind of comprehensive and kind of compare all the kind of muscularity symmetry and everything so I don't know if I should get leaner than previous um, especially if it means sacrificing any sort of size. Like you said, you felt like you'd lost a bit of like bicep and delt. Um, I think they're looking to avoid people doing that sort of thing and like come in a bit fuller, even if that means you're not quite as conditioned. But it's all good and well saying it. I'm very interested to see how they score people at this finals because, um, yeah, they might say that that's what they want, whereas I'm going to go off what they actually kind of reward. So, yeah, yeah it'll, I'll kind of go off how it looks like, how they're scoring, if, it, if it's changed. 
I know some federations like a bit of a bigger, softer physique, but normally for natural bodybuilding, they go for the really shredded guys. So, mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, I think I, I did li listen to that, or at least some part of it where I did hear him say that. And one of the reasons why he said, like, you know, your life is basically like miserable when you're getting that lean, but at the same time, like, if I was a bodybuilding judge, and I, and I get that it's not just who's as shredded as possible, but it's like who's got symmetry, who's got size. I don't think it's just oh, if you got shredded glutes, you're not you're not no longer counted. But it's just not you have to have shredded glutes, and that it's that's just an element of it rather than it's the new standard. Uh, like if you look at like Lane Norton, the last time he competed, like um, he he wouldn't have well, he probably would have placed because he's muscular, but like he was not really he didn't have shredded glutes, you know. Um, he had like boxed in glutes, but they're not shredded. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I was at the WMBF Worlds, I saw, I'm sure you've heard of Brandon Kempter. Um, I'd, yes. I'd, I'd literally, I'd never seen a guy, like he's got great genetics because like he's younger than I am. Uh, but like I've never seen a guy with like, he had big glutes. So, I mean, that, that you know, that helps when they're bigger because they look more shredded. But I've never seen someone like so, so lean. I don't think you get any leaner than that. I know Mike Grayson always talks about Marvin. Who I competed against, that like the most the leanest man on earth. But I was I competed in both their classes, and like Brandon was just way more shredded. And I'm just like thinking, like, how miserable would my life have to be to go from where I am now to get there? Like, is it is it worth it? Like, um, but but yeah, it was interesting. But Steve, yeah, it's been great to chat to you, man. Um, all the best in your uh, off season and and show next year. Hopefully, I'll. I'll be at that show um, just to kind of keep my my appetite wet with some bodybuilding shows. Um, so where can people find more about you? Obviously, you, you do your podcast, but I'm sure most people will listen to this or everybody will know about that. But um, what about yourself? You know, from from the from your own mouth, where, where can we get more about you? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me on again. It's been a fun chat, just like shit talking about this sort of thing. It's always fun. So yeah, if people, the Revive Stronger podcast, like you said, hopefully um, people can kind of go check that out. I recommend they do just because they get to listen to some really cool people I'm fortunate enough to interview. And then from me personally, uh, revivestronger.com has our, like everything we offer as an online coaching company. Uh, they can seek that out. And then I'm Revive Stronger at Revive Stronger over on Instagram, which is the place I'm most present and people can kind of chat over to me, uh, chat over there to me, DM me. Yeah, they can creep on me like I creeped on you, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's me.